Industry Insider is only available at Promo Corner, the leader in digital marketing for the promotional products industry. Each Monday, they discuss, dissect, and debate a single issue impacting the world of promotional marketing from every industry perspective. Now, it's time for Promo Corner's Industry Insider. Welcome to another edition of the Industry Insider, your promotional products podcast, where you can get all the nerdy news you need to know about. My name is Jeff Franklin, National Accounts Manager with Headwear USA, and I'm joined today by three other lovely folks. A little bit late, but we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, but this awesome broadcast is going to be brought to you today by our good friends over at Tervis. They've been around since 1946 and celebrating 75 years in business. They started with their classic line. They've got sleek styles that make perfect for the active and on-the-go lifestyle. Tervis is the original double-wall insulated drinkware that keeps your cold drinks cold and reduces condensation, backed by a made-for-life uh, made guarantee. Tervis is the original customizable double-wall insulated drinkware that keeps hot drinks hot and cold drinks cold. They're available in several sizes, including a 16-ounce mug, a 16- or 24-ounce tumbler, and a 24-ounce water bottle. They're made from Triton plastic, made in America, lifetime warranty, dishwasher, and microwave safe, and BPA-free. Go, uh, go check them out at tervispromos.com and uh, tell them the industry, industry insider sent you. Uh, why don't we say hi to uh, our, our good friend, uh, Meg Erber, since, since she's actually here at the moment, you know, we might as well let her get a few words in before she drops out on us again. Yeah, I apologize. Everything just froze. Maurice was like, oh, I might have computer issues. And I'm like, you jinxed it. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, well, no, see, what's no, funny is that when you, when you dropped out, actually, I was like, weren't we worried about Maurice's connection? He said, don't. I could hear it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's my mom's birthday. So big shout out to my mom. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday, mom. Happy birthday. A lot of exciting stuff going on. Uh, SNS is having their new product experience tomorrow. So we're excited about that. And had a kid's birthday over the weekend, so I'm still recovering from that. But otherwise, were the cops called. They were not, but neither That's was that the party there. So <laughs> it was not a Meg Erber party then. That's all. Yeah. I was <laughs> Steve McFadden, how are you doing today? Doing great. Yeah, I'm excited. What? I'm going on a little mountain trip and uh, going to be doing some biking, which I'm excited about. So I'm surprised you're not over there in that corner <laughs> sulking about the Von Miller trade. I prefer not to chat about that. I, I was I was told I could list off limits topics, and that was one that I sent you. Did I did I miss that? Uh, the not safe for air conversation. Oh man, yeah, it's sad. I mean, you know, I I jinxed myself in years past where I would always get the jersey of the person that would leave, and this has been the longest jersey I've been able to keep without having him leave. And you know, he's, he's just a good dude too. That's it's sad. But he's going to be yeah. great. And the Rams, D is just, ooh, it's going to be. It's going to be insane. But, hey, mm -hmm. Von Miller's happy. He's waking up to a 7-1 and one record, so that's good. That is nice. And he yeah. still has his chicken farm. Mm -hmm. If you haven't checked that out, go watch that online. It's amazing. I haven't. That's interesting. So maybe maybe we'll check that out for sure. Uh, we're joined today by a very special guest, uh, PPAI's own Maurice Norris. Uh, Maurice, how are you doing? Doing all right. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me today. Uh, I don't really have any special weekend plans just yet. Um, got a couple things going on, but nothing, nothing too big just yet. Nothing like a big uh, trip to the mountains or anything that that special. So in the freezing cold snow. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice, Steven. laughs> Excited. All right. Well, Maurice, uh, it is uh, very excited uh, to talk about our topics today. We're going to get into, uh, you know, some tariffs, some ocean and shipping reform act, 
uh, and any other legislative news that's out there right now, obviously the new administration, a lot of things have changed. So uh, just excited to sort of get an overview of sort of what's been happening and sort of uh, maybe some, some forecasting. But Maurice, it's customary for us to give our special guests a good three to four minutes uh, to basically introduce yourself. Tell us who Maurice Norris is, how you got involved in the promotional products industry and what the hell you've been up to since. So most of my professional experience before the industry, <clears throat> excuse me, um, involved, uh, you know, military, government jobs, couple of law firms. Um, that was that's kind of how my experience translates here. A lot of it basically entailed um, studying legislation or policies, regulations, and just kind of explaining what they mean to stakeholders. So that's kind of my direct uh, relation here. Um, as public affairs manager, um, I manage the uh, government relations and product responsibility programs for, for PPAI. Um, so we obviously have our uh, product responsibility summit every year. We have legislative education and action day. And then just, you know, really throughout the year, um, whether it's federal or state level, there's just a long list of um, regulations, proposed laws that do come to fruition or not, but we have to stay on top of all of it, just kind of figure out what it means practically for our industry. So that's that's really what takes up a lot of my time. All right. Well, Maurice, since you since you mentioned LEAD, which is uh, PPAI's Legislation Education and Action Day, uh, I've got a very serious question, okay? Um, I've gone now for the last three years prior to last year, every the, the last three years that it's been in person. And uh, one of the things that you you sort of see uh, is, you know, during one of the sessions, we all talk about, you know, how many people have been here for, you know, this is your first year, how many people have been here for three years, five years, 10 years, and you see all these people who have been there, like, since the beginning, right? Uh, am I still allowed to put my hand up for, like, four or five years in a row since we missed last year? Nope. Like, does nope. that count? Nope. How, how does that work? I have to say, I think it does. I mean, I think, you know, an event is event, an event, um, we had to do it virtually last year, obviously, for the same reason a lot of other people did virtual events. Um, I think those conversations mattered um, really most of last year. Uh, Congress wasn't, the uh, staffers in Congress really weren't doing in-person uh, meetings anyway. So whether it had been, you know, a huge lobbying event like the one we typically organize or just any one of us individually that wanted to go to our congressman or woman's office and talk to them, um, it would have been virtual. So I think, you know, the fact that we were able to still organize that event, some of the legislators or the staffers uh, still kind of recognized us from prior years. Um, I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to say I think it counts. Um, you know, again, we, we we've still been reaching out to some of those folks on issues that have come up uh, since we had the one virtually. We are hoping to take it back uh, in person next year. We are hearing some of the staffers are starting to be a little bit more open to some of the uh, the in-person meetings again. Um, so we're, we're certainly, I'm certainly hoping to organize an in-person again, but yeah, bottom line, I, you know, I think you can count that one last year um, with all the work that went into it and all the volunteer hours that went into it. I wouldn't want to say that doesn't count. I didn't realize it was all that. Yeah, definitely. I know. Well, geez, I totally feel that. Did you go to the virtual one though, Jeff? Did you go? Uh, I think I participated. I don't, honestly, I don't know. This last year has been an absolute. I participated. 
I've done well, so many virtual this and virtual I that's I don't know to be honest I, I really don't well, but sure I've Marie done record I went <laughs> yeah Maurice, you, you tell yeah, me we've got detailed records on everybody uh probably a little more information than you guys want us to have but we have information on everybody that participates in these things so it. yeah thanks for uh thanks for coming out supporting that yeah. absolutely I Lena is honestly one of the best events that, that I do each year. I mean, it's, it's very fulfilling to be able to, to help, uh, you know, um, uh, lobby, you know, for, for the, uh, for the association and just really, you know, make a very unknown industry a, a little bit more known to the people that are making laws, uh, you know, that, that affect everyday life for all of us. So. Yeah, I only went once and I loved it. I think it was, I learned so much in that just being out on the road with our peers. I think I was with um, Rick from Prime and then Tiffany Tarr some days. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Highly recommend. Awesome. Well, Maurice, why don't we get into the, to the, the meat of the, uh, of the podcast? I know, um, why don't we start with the Ocean Shipping and Reform Act? Because I, I don't think there's going to be a ton to cover there, uh, as we sort of uh, hinted upon a little bit before the podcast. But uh, for anybody that's not aware, maybe we can just give a brief overview of what the Ocean Shipping and Reform Act is and maybe where it's at and what you would predict. So it's basically in the House. It's bipartisan legislation that was introduced in the House recently. Um, it really, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act is actually a decades old law. Um, the, the newest version, it's actually called uh, OSRA 21 or the Ocean Shipping Reform Act 21. Basically provides a lot of uh, long overdue updates um, to, to shipping law. You know, obviously the landscape has literally changed um, in the past 20, what, three, 22, 23 years since this bill was last passed. So, you know, one thing we're talking about is one one big one that we're supporting is it curtails price gouging for uh, containers and then the dimension and detention and demurrage charges. Another one is it requires ocean carriers to verify they actually have space before they take some of these contracts. Um, so the agency that would be enforcing this bill, the Federal Maritime Commission or the FMC, it also requires ocean carriers to uh, certify that they're complying with this law, which is basically kind of giving FMC a little more authority than they have had, just kind of puts some teeth into the law. It also strengthens the anti-retaliation provisions. Um, so say you have an importer that has a dispute with an ocean carrier. Well, obviously those ocean carriers have a lot, they hold a lot of the cards basically, um, especially with those detention and demerit charges. So uh, OSRA 21 would, would kind of rein in the ability of the ocean carriers to retaliate against an importer that's disputing a charge. And another big one um, I forgot to mention is it also kind of shifts, Ultra does, it shifts the burden to the ocean carriers to prove why a certain charge is necessary, uh, basically by requiring them to itemize those charges. So this was one of the bigger ones. Um, it seems like this process is pretty arbitrary where the carriers were just kind of um, uh, passing these charges along and there wasn't always an explanation of, you know, basically justifying the charges. So uh, Ocean Shipping Reform Act, the 2021 update would require that as well. Do you mean to tell me that quadrupling the price of a container shouldn't be allowed, Maurice? Well, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm not allowed to discuss pricing. Well, it's not quadruple. Regard, but I would say that doing so in such an arbitrary fashion and without explanation, it should require a bit more scrutiny 100%. Um, than we've been seeing. Uh, I can, I think I can get away with saying that. 
I would, yeah, I would agree. Like, yeah, I mean, basically they're just throwing it at us and we're, we have no choice but to accept it at this point. So I think it's like when they were, they made the hospital start itemizing those bills and making it their priceless visible. I think that, you know, we're just getting ripped off at this point because we have no other choices. So. Well, it's so a 2,500% increase in 12 yeah. months. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. So PPAI participates in a variety of uh, industry coalitions, you know, retail just a variety of coalitions that are working on this and they are basically labeling this as a shipper's bill of rights. So the way, you know, the same way that patient's bill of rights came along, Meg, that's really largely how this has been. A um, couple of insider things there since this is an insider thing, I will say um, we do have information from one of our contacts that indicates um, because this is such a huge bipartisan piece it is also one of the pieces that's viewed as most likely to actually get through both chambers this year. Um, so that's something that's very encouraging. Um, our own letter that we sent out a couple of months ago, or excuse me, a couple of weeks ago, um, it actually takes a step further. We usually just kind of ask legislators to support the legislation. With this one, we're asking them to co-sponsor it. There's kind of some procedural issues that would potentially enable a fast track of this bill um, because we are getting close to the end of the year. Congress has a lot of stuff on its plate. Um, it is typically pretty tough to pass anything substantial in election in an election year, which next year is you know huge midterm elections. So there's a Congress has a lot on its plate trying to get a lot of stuff passed by the end of the year. Um, we're certainly hoping this is one of those things. So that's kind of why we've been keeping the pressure up. Uh, we're not just asking uh, legislators to support this bill. We're actually asking them to co-sponsor it. And we have gotten, um, I think the number of co-sponsors went from before our letter to 34 to it's 58 now. So, you know, not quite double, but we have had a pretty, pretty significant uptick in the number of folks co-sponsoring this bill. So I think it's, it's worth it to try to keep that pressure up. And, and Maurice, I, I have to assume this is not just, obviously this is not just a promo related thing. This is, you know, industry-wide across the country. There's got to be a lot of, a lot of businesses with exception of the freighters that are, you know, super excited about something like this. Um, it, it looks like it was introduced. Is that right? Like in August of this year? Any any idea where it's that in the process? I don't really know where it is. Is it kind of sitting or? So as far as I know, it hasn't it hasn't gotten a committee hearing yet. Um, what they're what the legislators, from my understanding, are still trying to do is really getting. Uh, since it seems to have such a broad base of support, the other thing we found out was this is one of the few bills that. Uh, it's pretty much like you said, it, it really has among every industry except the shippers. Um, we're not finding too many detractors. The shippers seem to be the only ones that are pushing back against this. Um, they are trying to rack up the number of co-sponsors to push it through mm -hmm. more quickly. So it hasn't gotten a committee hearing yet. Um, we do actually have a uh, call uh, PPAI staff does with one of those coalitions this week. So we'll have mm -hmm. you know a little more information after that. Um, obviously, you know, unfortunately, that doesn't help today. But uh, yeah, yeah, right now, these things, they tend to move kind of slow. Um, but the pressure is kind of on from a variety of industries to get this thing through this year because it addresses so many issues folks are dealing with right now. Yeah. Is there, an, is there anything that we can do? Like the industry, is there anything we can, a new one we can write? Is there one central location? Or can you give us some advice or some guidance on that? Yeah, I think it, so the bill is HR 4996. If you want to call your legislators, if you want to reach out to them, we have the news link article that we sent out. Um, we've got the industry alert we sent out direct via direct email. 
Um, those resources are both on our website. Actually, what the link actually lets you do is um, it, uh, so it'll ask you to put in your address information and that's not something, you know, we keep, but it's to help people figure out who the legislators are if you don't know. That's so awesome. it that's cool. pulls up, you know, uh, who your two house representatives are, or excuse me, who your house representative is. And uh, the, the second thing is it gives you their phone number. So you can send an email to their office, but you can also call them and just kind of talk, talk through your concerns. Um, sometimes those folks are actually surprisingly um, responsive. You may not always get, you know, an immediate uh, uh, solution, but they are willing to hear you out. Yeah. And if you, wait, one more question, Jeff, sorry. And do you have any like sample letters on the website as well? So if people really aren't sure what to do. Is there a template that you guys provide? And if not, that's okay. I'm just wondering, because I know people will ask. Well, so no, when you click on the link, um, it actually produces a, a pre-written letter. So okay. what you can do is go in and edit it. Um, we encourage you to do that, kind of add some of your company information. Um, it is pretty closely aligned with the letters that we've been sending out with the coalition members, because again, a lot of these folks, it, it really helps when you've got, you know, 2000 letters on the same issue using the same language, because, you know, sometimes folks just really don't, they don't remember anything until they've heard it two or three times. Um, so again, sometimes this letter may go to the chief of staff, may go to the, the policy director, it may go to an intern. So it really helps when this is being sent repeatedly. But uh, yeah, short answer, Meg, yeah, the letter does allow you to uh, edit it and we encourage you to do that. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to say too, Meg, was that it, like you guys, you and Ann and, and the team there make it so easy to do what you're asking to do. Uh, you know, the, the pre-written letter, I mean, it's literally just a matter of like, like you said, filling in your address so that it gives you who your representatives and senators are. And then basically it already drafts the email for the uh, the letter for you. And you just got to click the submit button basically uh, or add to it uh, as you suggested. So uh, it's you guys make it super simple and it's something that everybody should be doing because it literally takes two seconds of your time. Uh, we'll and it, in the comments it below. Really we will have, uh, you know, tremendous impact. So um, Maurice, is there uh, outside of the news link that you guys sent out? Cause I did see that and I filled it out immediately, but is outside of that, is there like a link that you can actually go to on PPAI's website that gives people that information that we can maybe link below in the comments? Oh, I don't have that in front of me. Sorry. Um, That's all right. Okay, uh, we can do it afterward. We well, yeah, we'll find it. We'll find it afterwards if there is. Yeah. All right. But I will say uh, that information is also. Um, I take that back. Uh, PPAILaw.org. A lot of our action alerts they're on that page. Awesome. Okay. PPAILaw.org. There you go. Great. Um, all right. Well, why don't we, uh, since we, we have talked Ocean Shipping Reform Act and and sort of just the uh, you know how much of an issue that's been. Uh, Stephen, you were sort of dropping some nerdy news on us earlier. Why don't we get into that and we give people a little bit of a visual? Yeah. What was your, what oh, was yeah. Um, I was just kind of commenting about, um, you know, I, I was actually in California a week and a half ago, and um, we were in Huntington, which is just a little bit south of San Pedro, which is you know one of the main hubs on the West Coast for, for container shipments. And I was curious, and so I looked it up and I asked, I said, how many containers do you think are on one of those ships? Meg, since you weren't here, how many do you think are on one of those ships? On a small ship? Yep, let's do a small ship. How about 10,000? 10, 10,000 is actually correct. And the larger ships are up to 21,000 containers, which is just insane if you think about it. 
Yeah, I was um, here, but I wasn't. I was frozen earlier. Oh, was okay. You cheated. So, you cheated, man. So here's so here's the visual. Okay, so with that in mind, take a look at this. Okay, this is how many ships are actually anchored out to sea right now. So obviously, yeah. you can you can and you know as you you'd have to zoom in to really see all of these, but honestly, yeah. like just an insane visual when you're talking about you know up to twenty one thousand containers per vessel. <laughs> got literally hundreds of vessels just stranded out the sea waiting to get uh you know uh i guess processed so i, I believe um um i read that it actually just peaked this week over topped over 100 ships outside of san pedro when we were there inside of huntington we looked out we counted 38 ships that we could see on the horizon line and i was taking pictures each day to see like are they moving and uh it took it's until happening. day yeah, I was comparing the pictures. It took until day four before I saw two ships move about 100 yards. Um, so, but, and I did uh, some other kind of nerdy news, I suppose. I uh, was talking to a couple of suppliers who have been talking about how they're rerouting um, some of their boats and changing the terminals that they're going into. Some of them are going into Texas. Um, so it says sometimes it's a little bit longer or a little bit more. Uh, costly but they're able to get them quicker because they're not having to worry about the unloading so obviously yeah. i i assume there's gonna be more you know what do they say desperation creates innovation um yeah. there's gonna be some of that going on so for sure yeah, i saw a big container going ship going through florida or going to florida i don't know where that is but um i actually there's a meme going around for outside this industry so i took i found the picture on the internet and made is it, it. The... it's with tammy on the on the wave runner and it, I was oh like, yes promotional product industry folks going ship to ship looking for the 112s or something like the richardson 112s <laughs> have you guys seen the black friday one no it's a picture of a boat in the middle of the ocean and it looks like the jaws scene where all the people were swimming and it says black friday special and they're all swimming towards the boat <laughs> in the middle of the ocean so yeah the one i've seen is the the pirates from uh pirates um, of the caribbean yeah, the, yeah, getting ready for Black Friday, so they're. I guess they're gonna go <laughs> loot the boats, pillage the boats. That's hysterical. Oh, I love it. It is. It's funny, but it's not. But it's yeah, it's kind of kind of serious. Yeah, that's basically spreading that around like that. That's something some of our uh, speakers talked about it at Summit back in August. Um, you know, whether it's Seattle or Savannah or uh, Texas, um, spreading that around like that is eventually just gonna kind of lead to backups there too. So, you know, hopefully they're yeah. not as broad a backup says as the ones in LA and Long Beach. But, uh, you know, eventually if everybody kind of starts taking the same solution, then it's gonna cause problems, problems there too, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, why don't we get into tariffs? Uh, Cause I know you guys, uh, PPB or, or one of the Newslink uh, letters just came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is sort of what stimulated this conversation. Cause I guess there's some talks about, you know, reintroducing tariffs or, um, you know, sort of revising that. What, what can you tell us about that? So uh, the administration, uh, specifically the uh, United States Trade Representative and the Commerce Department, um, and this is something we've been working with various industry coalitions on. Um, USTR has been reviewing the Section 301 tariff policy uh, pretty much since uh, the new USTR was instated a few months ago. Um, you know, us, along with a lot of other industries, have been asking for exclusions, um, uh, uh, repeal of the tariff policy altogether um, for months. So basically, 
that development that we were reporting on was that um, USTR and Commerce Department are near the end of their review. And what they're proposing is uh, really a variety of things. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, they're looking at possibly new tariffs, like you said, um, and this has to do with more industrial subsidies from China. Um, these are mostly Chinese tariffs on Chinese products. Um, but they are also actually looking at uh, lowering the rates on some of the existing tariffs and a new exclusion process um, for, for the existing tariffs. And this is, you know, whether it was tranche one, two, or three, um, any of those lists. But the, 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 the restriction there is the new exclusion process uh, is targeted towards products that had previously received an exclusion. So uh, uh, a commenting, a public commenting portal actually opened up for this. I think it was a week or actually it's been a few weeks now, October 12th. It's open until 1 December. Um, basically, if you had a, a, an existing exclusion for one or more of your products under any of the three lists, USTR is taking comments now on their website or actually I take that back, sorry, on the Federal Register. Um, they're taking comments on why that should be reinstated, but it, the rule doesn't take comments on, you know, establishing new exclusions. So that's, you know, that's why I say it's kind of a mixed bag. It's not, not quite what we were looking for, but it is, you know, it is some progress. Yeah. What were some of the exclusions? That well, might it's, be it's, like that's. Now. So it's really been, they've been reviewing it on a case by case basis. And the one thing, one reason that it's not all good news that the new portal only applies to pre-existing uh, exclusions is that there was really no explanation process for why some of the exclusion requests were being denied. There, yeah. there were a lot more requests than, than you know, were granted. And it, it's really been, you know, there have been times where you may have the HTS number, two numbers that are listed almost right next to each other. You ask for the exclusion on the one, you don't get it on the second one. And they're very, the product may have been very similar uh, uh, in nature, but the USTR's office wouldn't, it's either a yay or nay, and they're not really giving uh, answers on explanations on why one was granted, why the other one was not. So that's strange. It's really strange. Um, you guys have any any questions regarding the tariffs or what what to expect or anything? It just no. seems like it's one more thing, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's like it's just one more thing. I know people we almost forgot about it. We've had sorry, my someone's checking our meters outside, so my dogs think that you know it's a queue <laughs> or something. Sorry. Um, you know, I think people forgot about tariffs because of everything that's been going on these last year, you know, but they haven't gone away. And it's just, I guess it's just one more level of, yeah. Well, the there one thing is actually I've... some some research some of our coalition partners are doing into how uh, the ongoing tariff policy is also actually exacerbating the shipping crisis. So obviously, uh, aside from, you know, obviously the increased costs, there are also some other complications that are being caused. So you know, we're working with them on that. We're looking to push that out as soon as we, as soon as we, they, they finalize that, because I think that's just another strong point that we can make as we uh, continue to advocate for, you know, either a much broader exclusion process on any or all of the lists, all the products named on all the lists, or, you know, 
obviously uh, best case scenario would be complete removal, but the, the administration through various uh, portals now is kind of, they've really not been very warm to that uh, suggestion there. So Maurice, how is that, uh, how is that exacerbating the, uh, the, the shipping problem? Is that just a clearance issue because of. Yeah, it's, it's been a couple of things. So from what we've been seeing, it's, it is a clearance issue. It's, it's just one more thing that you have to deal with as you're, you know, as you're trying to get your stuff through customs. Um, it's just one more thing on the list. So whether it's tariffs, whether it's logistics, um, whether it's, you know, something CBP is flagging because of, a, you know, some product responsibility issue. Um, primarily, my understanding is it is literally just one more thing on the list, but there are some other uh, more practical implications from, from what I've been hearing on uh, some of the coalition meetings that they're suggesting. And that's part of what they're, they're trying to I guess collate a list of, of basically explaining that now. So I can't I can't speak to that more directly than that until you know I guess they kind of finalize that list and release it. Got it. Just uh, from a distributor's perspective here, you know I'm I'm looking over the past two years, um, you know thinking about all the things that could or should have affected costs, mm -hmm. right? You know there's obviously there's tariffs, there's shipping, there's material cost issues, there's national natural disasters that affected a lot of the apparel with the manufacturing, then there's labor cost increases. You know, I've seen um, lots of suppliers, rightfully so, kind of start to, you know, figure out where those new costs and baselines should be. But I'm just wondering, Maurice, if you have a perspective of like where it'll stop, because honestly, it doesn't seem like they've increased the prices that much, uh, but they've got to get it back eventually. So just from our perspective, do you see the industry kind of continuing to slowly increase things to help the supplier side um, and any thoughts on that? I'm not sure. I, I'm sorry. Could you, I'm not like sure the, I understand it. Just with everything going on, do you see that all these, all the things that are impacting costs will continue to drive costs in the promo industry um, upwards? Oh, yes. Unfortunately, because really just from a labor standpoint, um, with all the new requirements, just really looking at it at a the lowest level, you know, if you're paying somebody to deal with that. Uh, one of the other things is the Country of Origin Online Labeling Act. Um, that's in a whole nother bill that we haven't talked about, the Innovation and Competition Act that was passed by the Senate uh, this summer. It's actually in the House now. So it's kind of a huge anti-China bill, basically. Um, PPAI doesn't really have a stance. We're kind of agnostic on most of it but specifically that country of origin online labeling act would require really online, any online seller to identify the country of origin for a product. And it is a wide variety of products, auto, um, uh, just toys, a lot of different stuff, but obviously what would hit us hard is apparel. Um, so from what we've been, you know, our information gathering, um, it really depends on what month of the year, sometimes even what week of the year that you're ordering that t-shirt um, what country it's coming from. It's just really impossible yeah. to identify that on the website before somebody actually orders it. So, you know, I think the level of information that you'd have to gather to comply with this requirement, um, just the from a resource standpoint, yes, I think that could uh, kind of contribute um, to more directly answer your question. Yeah, that's yet another thing 
that's coming up. And we have seen information that, you know, obviously Congress is still dealing with those two big infrastructure bills. Um, they've got the debt ceiling, they've got the budget, but there is um, some information from members of the Senate and the House that they want to get the Innovation and Competition Act passed before the end of the year. And that's something that, you know, again, we've been mobilizing against. We've, we've released information on that. But it is something that I think could, uh, you know, it would obviously be very problematic if it passes in its, in its current form. My mind's blown because first off, this whole, this is, I know, I saw Stephen's face and Stephen's face <laughs> is giving me anxiety. So yeah, that's usually, unfortunately, that's kind of my job is explaining <laughs> all the, honestly, the as, all the as the more decisions come out about these things, we should be given these updates. This is great info. And I'm, this really is. Yeah. No, I didn't know that this law was something that was new. I thought there was already something in place and maybe it's just a modification on it because I know when people like um, we deal with people who want to private label all of their stuff. So they, a lot of the apparel comes with these <clears throat> tearaway tags, but it, there's, there are requirements and I don't want to misspeak and say what was supposed to be on there, but I know when they are retagging them, obviously the size, the fabrication, and I could have swore the COO had to be on there. I could have been wrong. So is this saying then all labels initially as well? Maybe it's, it didn't have to be on that. Maybe that's where I didn't realize. For online. So this would require yeah. you to put it online. And I think that's the biggest, yeah. biggest problem. You'd have to put it, if you're gotcha. selling it okay. online, you'd have to put the country of origin online. And, you know, again, it's just not, you know, we've heard this from really everybody we've talked to in and outside our industry. Um, there's times where it's just practically impossible to put that information online until somebody actually orders it. So it's kind of a chicken before the egg kind of thing. You can't know where it's coming from until somebody orders it, but you have to know where it's coming from. Yeah, and how, and yeah. how do you do it when you had to change lots to a different country? And so you got some inventory from here and some inventory from here. Do you got to put two products up with two different countries of origin and no, I people choose or how does, you know, no, how does that work? That's, that is tough. I know what we do now. We do have a COO tab on under every product on, I don't know. And some of them, there may not be one because we may not have it, but if it comes from two different countries, it'll say like, I don't know, XYZ this or black <laughs> and it'll say like Guatemala and Pakistan or whatever. I don't know. I'm just totally making those numbers up and whatever, but it'll have both listed by that color, but you could have an item number and specific colors may come from one country, another. So we have been mm. very adamant about listing it, but there are some that I think may not have it. And that this is going to apply to everything. So, I mean, it is good to have, I guess people just need to absorb that into their costs and which we, we will. And most people will, unfortunately, so the end user doesn't feel it. Yeah, and this is something else that just going back to the tariffs, obviously, is kind of exacerbated because a lot of people, you know, kind of kind of shifted some of their supply chains trying to get around that. So yeah, it's uh, it's just kind of uh, again very problematic. Well, Stephen, to go back to your question about the uh, the inflation and and how we're seeing costs continue to rise, I mean, I think there's so many other things that are factoring into that as well. Like you've got mm -hmm. uh, China, which is still our biggest uh, mm -hmm. biggest exporter, I guess you would call them in this situation uh, for most of our product. You've got uh, really a lot of reduced energy at this point. Uh, you know, I know they've stopped importing coal from Australia, which they were getting a third of their coal from Australia. Uh, so now they actually don't have enough coal to power the country. And you've got some factories that are about that. Beijing yeah, might have. You've, you've got some factories that are basically operating on, on uh, pow grid power for like one or two days. 
Um, you know, so you've got increased demand and then you've got factories not actually being able to work a full, you know, five, six, seven days. They're only working one or two days unless they're lucky enough to have generators, uh, in which case the power is, you know, not as consistent and can be shoddy. So, you know, production is going down. Uh, you've got increased demand, uh, increase in cost because you can't meet the demand. Uh, on the raw material uh, side of things. So, I mean, it just, it, it continues to go, you know, it's one thing right after the other. Inflation is going to be insane over the next year or so, I would think. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, your, to your point about the, uh, you know, the trade deficit is still, you know, $310 billion last year. Um, it hasn't gone away. So yeah, they are, uh, China is, you know, obviously still the world's factory basically. Um, I did see a similar report this morning. They were actually, the speaker of CBS was actually interviewing a factory owner in China that was, you know, he was basically describing these random uh, power shutoffs. And, you know, sometimes it'll last 15 minutes. Sometimes he would say, you know, if it goes more than a half hour, it actually throws off their whole day with kind of staying on track. They were making uh, electronics. I think it was speakers, speakers for, uh, you know, sound systems. But, uh, you know, it's, it is, it, it just kind of puts a strain on, on supply across the board um, when the country that we're getting all our products from really can't, you know, produce at the level that, uh, the level that we're used to, and definitely not this increased demand that you're, you're, you're pointing out as well. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys have any other questions before we uh, wrap things up? I mean, no. a thousand questions, but none yeah. before we wrap up. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Maurice, thank you so much. You've been a wealth of knowledge today. We really appreciate awesome. being on you for this. And man, we would love to probably get you back and, and talk about updates on this just because there's so much and it's stuff that people need to know and they may you know miss it here and there. So I, I wealth of knowledge. Thank you again. Well, if I, if I didn't bore your listeners uh, too bad, um, you know, thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm glad to, yeah. glad to come back. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Wonderful. I think anybody that was listening has definitely got, uh, look, knowledge is so powerful. And I I think the more that we're able to educate our customers, whether you're a supplier or a distributor in our industry, the more you're able to educate your customers, the better we can all Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, prepare, uh, you know, a a plan for, you know, how we're going to attack the situation that we're dealing with. So uh, knowledge is power and you've definitely dropped uh, some knowledge bombs on us. So I appreciate you, Maurice. Uh, if you guys got anything out of this uh, podcast, I just want to remind you, this one was brought to you by our good friends over at Tervis. Uh, and they added stainless to their well-established line about two years ago with the goal of me, uh, being better than the competition by utilizing state-of-the-art uh, custom 360-degree UV printing. And Meg, I don't know if you've got your uh, your Tervis tumbler there, but I know you've got one of those with that beautiful 360-degree UV printing on it. Um, look, they're available in four different sizes. You've got a 12 ounce, a 20 ounce, a 30 ounce, or a 24 ounce water bottle. Uh, and now 24, 30 or 40 ounce wide mouth bottles, uh, which are great for, you know, dropping ice cubes in them and things like that, you know, easier to wash uh, and that sort of stuff. So five-year warranty, 18-8 copper lined, vacuum insulated. They'll keep your drinks hot for eight hours. They'll keep your drinks cold for 24 hours. Uh, awesome products. Go check them out at tervispromos.com and let them know that the industry insider sent you. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up there, guys. Really appreciate you, uh, Maurice. Uh, awesome to have you on. And uh, like Meg said, hopefully we'll have you on again to sort of uh, follow things up down the road. Thank you. So hopefully I'll have better news next time. Um, but yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> Fair enough. Awesome. 
All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Promo Corner's Industry Insider. For more great content from industry thought leaders, including podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit promocorner.com.